Hi there, it's episode 105. Today I'm chatting with Beth from High Sierra Permaculture. We're talking about the very basics of getting started with organic gardening. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, it's Danae. Today we are wrapping up the month of simplifying food and family with this final episode on getting started with organic gardening. Today I'm joined by Beth from High Sierra Permaculture. Beth and her partner Brett are homesteaders who utilize permaculture methods. Now if you don't know what any of those things mean, neither did I until I chatted with Beth a little bit more. But she's breaking it down and simplifying it today for even the brownest of thumbs. But first, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Bloom. Bloom is a monthly children's subscription box, and it ranges from pregnancy all the way to preschool. The Bloom boxes are curated for your child's age and stage, and they will grow with your children as they get older. The thing that I love the most about Bloom is that it makes a great gift for expecting parents kids, grandkids, you name it. Each month, it's a surprise. You can get sneak peeks before the items ship, but it's kind of fun to not know what to expect. So if you have a kid in your life that's hard to buy for, or you have a grandparent in your life who's looking for ideas for your kids, the items that you'll find in these boxes are exciting and high-quality toys and gear. Bloom focuses on finding safe, non-toxic, innovative, and kid-tested products. And you'll notice that they focus on finding natural and organic materials as much as possible. Bloom is offering a special for the Simple Families audience. If you sign up for a 6 or 12 month subscription at bloom.com, that's B-L-U-U-M.com, you can get a free box when you use the code SIMPLE at checkout. So remember, that's B-L-U-U-M.com and use the code SIMPLE at checkout. Back to today's episode, I'm talking with Beth Brattel from High Sierra Permaculture. Beth is going to walk me through Organic Gardening 101. As some of you may know, we moved into our new house in New York last summer, and we have a beautiful garden here, but I have zero clue what to do with it. I do know that I want to steer clear of chemicals, but I have no idea where to start, and I'm a little overwhelmed with all of the resources out there. So in today's conversation with Beth, I ask her all the questions when to plant, what to plant, how to make compost, how to attract bees. Do I even need bees? I know that I want to start simple with gardening because if I go too big and do too much, I'll probably burn out. So I'm happy to have Beth here helping me out and I hope that her wisdom helps you all as well. As always, the links are going to be in the show notes. If you go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 105, you can find everything that Beth and I are talking about today. Enjoy this episode. Hi, Beth. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Danae. Thanks for having me on the show. So, Beth, you're a homesteader, and I first want you to explain what does that mean? What is a homesteader? Yeah, well, a homesteader, it can be a really broad term, but often it describes a lifestyle that focuses on self-sufficiency. It's characterized um, often by growing your own food, preserving that which you grow, Um, cooking from scratch, finding alternative energy sources like wind or solar power, um, you know, making your own goods, things, things of that nature. Um, So for example, we grow a lot of our own food, we freeze it, or we can it in jars. 
Um, we bake a lot of breads from scratch. We have chickens and eat eggs from them and hopefully have a goat someday that we can get milk from. We line and dry our clothes most of the year instead of using the dryer. I have this really cool solar oven that I cook in a lot in the summer that's this really neat free thing that you can make with just a window and a little bit of newspaper insulation. It's really cool. Um, I've built, we've built most of our own furniture. I've also made most of our own pottery. Uh, whenever we're working on a building project, we'll go out to what we call the boneyard and see what scraps and materials we have laying around instead of just going to the hardware store first. So yeah, a homesteader is just often characterized by being resourceful and using what you have around. Okay. So your goal as a homesteader is to grow and provide as much food and as much of your, as much of, as much of what you need for daily life from the land that you live on. Yeah, definitely. You know, we chop our own firewood and so that's how we heat our home. And, uh, we have a well that we provide our own water, um, yeah, so that's 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 the main goal. And of course, we still use the store a lot, but um, we try and provide as much as possible. Okay, so you are homesteaders, you and your partner, Brett, and you also use a methodology called permaculture. Can you tell us what permaculture means? It's something I've heard before, and I don't feel like I really understand it. <laughs> I can understand that um, because it has so many definitions, and sometimes it can be really obscure. Um, so it's just a more narrow subset of homesteader and sometimes it's categorized as this like hippy dippy concept to this permaculture, but in a real simple way, it's just a holistic way of living. It tries to integrate the garden and home life to create a lifestyle aimed at having a smaller impact on the earth and environment. Um, other highlights of permaculture would be it focuses on trying to mimic how nature does things instead of separating it. You know, in this modern life that we live, we do a lot of things that are separate. And so, for example, so the quintessential garden is often planted in perfect little rows of everything, whereas our garden, we intersperse all of these different vegetables. So they're not a breeding ground for bugs or other things that can happen. Just like nature, you don't see perfect little rows of trees or plants everywhere. So is it safe to say that most food that's grown organically is not grown through permaculture methods? That is definitely correct. Okay. Organic food is often just grown like conventional food is, but with organic amendments, soil amendments. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily, even though we're not using the chemicals and pesticides, we're not necessarily working with mother nature to grow the foods. Yeah, that's definitely correct. Unfortunately. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. So Beth, you were not always a homesteader. How, how did you become a homesteader? What was your life before this? What did you do before this and how did you get into it? Yeah. So gosh, it was probably just about over five years ago now that I was living in downtown Denver and I was dreaming of getting back to more of a rural life. And it was here that I, that I met my partner, Brett, and we ended up going our own separate ways for a few years and finally reconnected. And I came up to visit him where he was living on this beautiful 
permaculture homestead up in Northern California in this town where we live now. And so I came up here, I fell in love with the lifestyle. I fell in love with California and this town. And of course, with my partner, Brett, the long story short is a few months later, I packed up, I moved to California. And from there, Brett and I have worked on organic farms, a mushroom farm. We had the opportunity to live on an already established homestead as caretakers, where we got to play in the garden, help with building projects, and get a taste of the homesteading lifestyle. Um, during that time, we knew that we wanted to have our own homestead at some point, and we, all t- we ended up buying uh, 30 acres of their land for our own permaculture homestead dream. Then, two weeks later, we discovered that we were going to have a little homesteader on the way, which definitely put um, a rush on getting our home completed before he was born. So in those nine months, it was just this mad rush to complete the power, water, the yurt that we live in. And we got it all done before our little guy, Sequoia, was born. And a few months after that, before our year anniversary on our land we also had a quarter acre garden we had pasturing chickens and had a lot of other sustainable practices on our land so what were you doing pre-homesteading life what was your work (laughs) pre-homesteading life I was working as a graphic designer for a company in downtown Denver so this is this is more or less totally brand new to you as of just a few years ago yeah, yeah. And same with Brett. He was a web programmer. And um, yeah, so both of us have just dove into this head first and love it. I imagine it's like trial by fire. You learn very quickly. <laughs> Definitely. And fortunately, we are both the kind of people that just love to learn new things and can watch a YouTube video and figure out how to do something from there. So that, that helped incredibly in the building of our own home. That was, that was all we did was just quick research and then do it. I love that. And I have been following your business, High Sierra Permaculture on Instagram for some time. And I have seen your yurt, which is absolutely beautiful. I have been wanting, I've been pushing, (laughs) pushing my husband to get a yurt since I've seen yours. It's so inspiring. Um, He's not on board with living in a yurt right now, but there's always hope for someday. Um, but yours, it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. And I, so most of your decorating you did with things that you found locally or just right on your land. Yeah. So while I might've been a graphic designer in my job before I've been an artist all my life. And so like all of our decorations are things I've yeah found over the land, the furniture I've built, like I said, the pottery I've made, the And then there's all these organic elements that we have within our home, branches and um, rocks and stones, things like that. Okay. So I want you to tell me how to start a garden. But first, I have one question of something I saw on your (laughs) your Instagram that I was fascinated by and I loved is your bathtub. Tell me about your bathtub. The the outdoor bathtub. Yes. It's so awesome. (laughs) Thanks. That was, (laughs) that's so funny. So this outdoor bathtub. Um, we, I was probably two weeks away from my due date and we still didn't have hot water. Maybe it was a few more weeks. We still didn't have hot water yet in our yurt and I was craving a bath so bad. So Brett 
we had this old cast iron bathtub that we scavenged off the side of the road. And he's like, I've got an idea. So he dug a little pit underneath in the side of the hill, put the bathtub on top. So the cast iron bathtub is um, obviously not plastic. So he built a little fire underneath there. And we have this wood fired bathtub. Uh, that is outside of our yurt and it overlooks our creek and it's just this beautiful place and um, I wasn't actually able to enjoy it to its fullest when I was pregnant because the water would just get too hot but it's absolute heaven and um, yeah I love it. That's so cool and I imagine you probably have to experiment with how deep to dig the hole to which depends on how hot the bathtub's gonna get and yes yeah we definitely had to play around with that and um piping the smoke away from the bathtub so it has a couple kinks but its overall charm makes it all worth it <laughs> absolutely well I thought that was so <laughs> neat and resourceful when I saw that okay so Beth I am so glad that you agreed to talk with me more about all this today and I love hearing about your life and this transition that you've made and I think that it, it just fascinates me and I want to learn more So my family, we moved into a new house last July, and when we moved into our house, there was an already established garden, and our house is pretty historic. It's, I think it's about 100 years old, and it was actually a stable before that, so it was converted into a house from a stable, and there's a garden that is also very old and absolutely beautiful, and you can tell that it has been well-loved. And this is the first place that we've ever lived where we've really felt like we are stewards here, that we want to take care of this house and this property to pass on to someone else, because we don't know how long we're going to be here, and even if we do stay for many years, presumably someone else is going to come after us, and we want them to be able to enjoy it as much as us. And I have found that the garden is really a happy place for me. And we moved in in July and the garden was already planted. So all the dirty work, no pun intended, was already done for me. So it was really easy for me to enjoy last summer. So now we're approaching growing season this year and I just, I have no idea where to start. And one thing that I'm worried about is putting in a whole lot of effort and it not turning out as planned and getting discouraged. So I want to start off right. So I have a lot of questions for you today. Definitely. And that can be super discouraging when you do put in all of that work. Um, I've been there. That's, I had a small garden in Denver, had no idea what I was doing, didn't have the right light or right watering. And I had a complete brown thumb. And if that was just a few short years ago, and now we have a quarter acre garden with tons of fruit, food growing, I think it's possible that you're going to get, you're able to grow your food. Okay, good. That's encouraging. (laughs) Okay, so starting off, it is April now, and I'm trying to figure out when do I start planting? When do I have to start thinking about and making plans for my garden? So what you want to do is find out your last frost date, and from there you can determine what to plant and when. Some vegetables can be planted before the last frost, and some can't. They They can't take the frost. So the old farmer's almanac will be a great place to look. If you type in your zip code, you'll be able to find out. They'll tell you what your last frost date is. Okay, great. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes for anyone that wants to check that out. 
Yeah, perfect. And this will just give you an average of what the frost date is. It's not a hard and fast rule. So another another thing that I like to advise people to do is to talk to your local garden stores. They they have um, they'll have a lot of info. You know, some of you have might might have what's called microclimates. You know, you might be in a little bit of a valley and be a lot colder than somebody who's just two miles away, but up on a more sunny ridge. So you can kind of uh, talk to people from there. There's also an organization called the the Master Gardeners, and you can talk to them. They answer lots of gardening questions and things like that. Um, if you're doing any vegetables from seeds, on the back of the seed pack, they give you a description about what you can plant and when. So you'll go through, you'll look at the back of the seed pack and it'll say, start these four weeks before your last frost. And you can get those in the ground and they can take the cold. But like things like tomatoes, you would want to, you know, they'll say maybe start indoors eight weeks before, but don't put out until your last frost. So those are just some, you know, ideas. So early spring is generally the best time to start planning for what we're going to choose to be in the garden. Yes. And there's definitely more advanced ways of doing it. You can do what's called successions throughout the year. There are things that, you know, have shorter maturity cycles that you could do several times, but I'd say for your best purposes, early spring is, is the time to be planting. So are there certain things that are better for beginners to start with or certain things that you think are just sort of off limits and I should not attempt? <laughs> well, there's definitely plants that are easier to to grow than others. And there's one, you know, there's they would tend to have minimal issues and they also have larger yields. So plants like tomatoes, zucchinis, um, greens, things like that, they'll they tend to have, like I said, less issues and larger yields, so you'll feel more accomplished. If you just grow, like, one head of broccoli, it's just, like, one and done. So as soon as you eat the broccoli, it's it's pretty much done. So that's why I like to tell people um, another other vegetables that would be great for that would be beans, peas, cucumbers, um, things like that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So if I'm growing something like like lettuce or greens, do those things grow back? Yes, yeah, a lot of them grow back. So we grow a lot of kale and chard. Um, lettuces tend to bolt in the summertime when it's too hot in our area, so I can't grow those um, except for in the spring and fall. Um, but yeah, once you, you cut them, they'll just they'll keep going pretty much all season. Oh, that's good to know. So you can chop them and then they grow back. Kind of like herbs, is that right? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and herbs are other great ones to start with. Um, they, they're they also what are called perennials. And so they'll not only keep growing throughout this season, but they'll grow for many seasons if you're able to keep them um, alive through the, through the winter and things in, in your climate. So other perennials, so herbs would be thyme sage oregano basil is not a perennial uh, at least not in our climate here it does not like the cold and frost um mint but i will say an advice about mint planted in containers i 
just went out to our garden and I, we have so much space and I planted mint in an area that I thought it's okay if it spreads a little bit, that's fine. It took over this whole entire bed. So there, a lot of these herbs can be very tenacious and can spread a lot. It's, but it's funny that you mentioned that because we actually had, when we moved in an entire four by eight bed of just mint, which is like <laughs> a lot of mint. And maybe that's what happened, but what totally. do you, can I just dig that up and plant something else? Or do you really have to dig it up to get it out of there? Will it grow back? Uh, well, I was just doing it in my garden and they, they really send out some, some roots. So I would dig it up really well. And if you do want to save an area, I would block it off with, you know, maybe rocks or some wood or, you know, something to really section it from everything else um, or just move it into a whole pot in general. And you could, I'm not sure, you could probably do a deep mulch or something to make sure it doesn't grow back, but you might just want to wait a year to see before you plant a lot in there because it can really be tenacious. Okay. That's good to know. I was actually thinking about leaving one of the raised beds empty and just letting my kids dig in the dirt. So that would probably be a great spot for it. Yes, it would be. Um, some, some other great perennials um, would also be your berries, like strawberries and blueberries. Um, asparagus is a perennial. And so are fruit trees, obviously. So these are just other vegetables that um, once you've put in the effort for, they keep, you know, they'll, they'll keep giving you fruit and vegetables. And those are also really fun. Okay. So that, that's a good idea of things that I can start with. And beans grow up, right? Is that, or do you have to sort yes. of make them grow up? There, there are two types of beans. There are the, what they call pole beans, and those do climb on a trellis. And there are bush beans that stay lower to the ground and are more bushy. Um, so you kind of want to look at which type you're getting. But yeah, those are really fun to trellis. Like beans, peas, cucumbers, a lot of the squashes or anything that vines, um, they love to climb. And they can be more productive and they'll have less uh, pest issues if you give them a place to climb. Oh, interesting. So I'm hesitant to even start a sentence with this, but on Pinterest, I saw this idea of growing beans up on sort of a teepee-like structure. So you do some poles and then strings around it and you make a green bean teepee. And I think it's just like the most fun idea for my kids. (laughs) But do you think that's a little overambitious or do you think that would be fairly easy to pull off? I think it would be really easy to pull off actually, because um, what you'll, I mean, if you are able to make a structure that is sound and not going to fall over, then all you have to do is just plant your beans at the base of it. And once they start growing enough to where you can train them to go within the trellising, they'll, they'll do their job. They love to climb. So once you get them on there, you really won't have to do much else. Okay. Well, maybe we'll give it a try. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Pinterest is actually a really, you know, there, it's a great place to find a lot of gardening ideas there. It can be overwhelming and, but by and large, I found there's some really great ideas, really great things to try. So do you, do you have a Pinterest board or anything that you think would be helpful to share with anyone else? If you find that to be a useful resource? Yeah, we do. We have a high Sierra permaculture uh, has a Pinterest board. And I even have a little 
one of them is called Permaculture Farm and Garden. And so we have tons of gardening um, tips and advice. And at the top, there's even a section that I made for your listeners here that is called Gardening 101. And it's just like probably 10 of the most basic pins of tips to get you started so you don't get lost in the sea of thousands and thousands of pins. Okay, good, because I definitely need that. (laughs) Okay, so how do I know, I mean, should I be planting seeds in my garden or should I be buying some plants, some seedlings or starters or whatever they're called to get things started? Yeah, well, what I would say is, if this, if this is your first year starting out or if you have any hesitation at all, just make it easy on yourself and set yourself up for success and start off with buying the seedlings from the store. Um, there's a lot of things that there are a lot of vegetables that take a lot of time to establish or are harder to germinate. So herbs, they're really slow to grow and establish. And a lot of the Things that you grow in summer, like tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, things like that, they take a lot longer to um, to germinate and establish. So people are starting those in January and February, and you need like a a heated space for them and all of that. So the the garden stores take care of all of that and will set you up for for success. Same with squashes and melons. Um, however, there are things that are really quick and easy to grow and some vegetables that don't like to be transplanted. So greens, those are quick and easy to grow. Any type of arugula, lettuce, um, kale, chard, you know, things that you'd make salads with. I would, you can buy those as starts and, and I sometimes, you know, have in the past as well, or you can start those from seed. Root vegetables like carrots, radishes, beets, they don't really like to be transplanted. That root is there, is the food that we eat. And that's, it's just a more delicate thing. So you can direct seed some of those and same with beans and peas. And those are, they're fairly easy to germinate and, um, and the root vegetables and the beans and peas often can be planted before your last frost too. They're, they're not as, um, they're very cold. They're more cold hardy. Okay. So do I plant everything at the same time? Well, not necessarily. Um, Again, you'll kind of look at either the back of the seed packs and they'll say anywhere from, you know, a few weeks before the last frost or um, don't plant until after the last frost. A general rule of thumb would be you'll have what's called the cool crops and they would be what you're planting in early spring. So those are In the brassica family, which would be cauliflower, kale, broccoli, those sort of things, Um, greens, peas, cilantro likes cooler temperatures. Um, If if we plant that in our area in the middle of the summer, it'll just do, it'll just go to seed. It's bolting is what is what it calls. It just it doesn't really grow big um, to where you can harvest it. It just pushes itself right to seed. Now, the other type of crops would be more of your summer crops that love heat. Those would be your tomatoes, peppers, melons, squashes, berries. Once the danger of frost has passed, then you can start putting those out into your garden. Um, They love the heat. So you want to plant those in a place that gets as much sun as possible. 
So once I've sort of nailed down what I'm going to plant and the schedule and timing of when to plant it, what should I consider about my soil? Do I need to add new soil every year? How do I know if my soil is any good? Yeah, well, I would say unless you're practicing really advanced methods of creating optimal soil health, my best advice for before even knowing anything about your particular soil is add compost. Add lots of compost. Um, even if you are practicing permaculture techniques, you know, and really focusing on your soil health, we add compost every year. That ensures the healthiest plants. It adds all kinds of microbiology and nutrients and all the good stuff that your plants want. So it's kind of like it's akin to a healthy diet for people. You know, if you're eating well and focusing on what's going into your body, the, the likelihood that you're going to be healthy is much, much higher. So compost is, is health for the plants. So one of my local garden stores is having a manure sale this weekend where you bring a bucket and they fill it up with manure for $5. <laughs> what is like, what is manure versus compost? Like how are those things used differently? What kind of manure is it from what animal? I think it's cow. Cow. And is it fresh? Like it's not been composted? I, I don't know. I guess that's a question I need to ask. Yeah, because there's two things. Like um, manure is amazing to add to compost. But if you're going to be using manures, you do want to be sure that they have seasoned, which means they have gone through this... Um, aerobic process that has broken down a lot of the um the the bad microbiology in there that would make you sick so if you just put cow manure directly into your garden without letting it um go through this process you could potentially get some some funky diseases from that but if you add it to a compost pile and it matures and it turns into soil, then that is rich and awesome soil. So I think you'd want to check at what stage it is. Okay. Or maybe they're just selling it so that it could be added to an additional compost pile. Maybe it's not. Yeah. Right. Hard to say. Okay. Good, good to know. So <laughs> I'm adding compost on top of my existing soil. Do I need to, and I have raised beds, do I need to dig out the soil underneath? Is there anything to keep in mind about what's left over from last year? Yeah, so here, let's talk about assessing your soil. When you look at, when you go out to your garden, or if you're starting a new garden, when you look at this earth that you are going to be planting your vegetables in, here are the things you want to see. You want to see a dark black color. It you want it to have this earthy smell. You want your soil to be moist and fluffy and easy to dig your hand into. Um, if you see earthworms in your soil, that's great. That means there's a lot of organic matter in there. What you don't want to see is pale soil or if you can tell that it's like full of clay if it's dry, cracked, dusty, you know, all these really obvious signs that your soil doesn't look well. Um, if it's compacted, so if your soil is compacted and you can't just easily dig your hand down in there, neither can the roots of your vegetables. So you want to make sure that it's um, light and fluffy. And if your soil just kind of looks 
void of life, you know. Um, so for your garden, um, with the raised beds, no, you're not, you're not going to want to dig anything up. You're like I said, you're just going to want to make sure it's light and fluffy and add as much compost as you're able to. I mean, at least an inch would be great. Um, you know, just whatever your budget allows, but the more compost, the healthier your soil and the healthier and more productive your plants will be. So what about making compost or composting our food? Do you have any favorite ways? My fear is attracting um, pests and rats and that sort of thing. And I've heard that's an issue. Is that something to be worried about? Um, you know, it can be. We, we have our compost pile quite a ways away from us and we have several acres. So um, that's not an issue for us. But you, if you live in a smaller place... Um, that 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 definitely can be but there are many different types of containers that you can put it in that will be a big deterrent for that I so I've seen the barrels they're like these big plastic barrels with cranks that you turn is that something that you would recommend if you have a smaller space yeah I I think that that would be that would be a good way to start off um so compost is basically just the natural process where the decaying organic matter is turning into this rich, fertile soil. And it happens, you know, all over in nature, all the time, piles everywhere are doing that. So what you are trying to replicate in this container is that process. And so what you need is a balance of what are called greens and browns. The greens are nitrogen, the browns are carbon. And Where you would get the greens, those would be your kitchen scraps, eggshells, coffee grounds, weeds, grass clippings, anything that um, is still more in the alive state. Things you don't want to add to your compost would be fats, animal products, dairy, things like that. The browns are the carbon. You could get that from leaves dried grass clippings so they go from a different state um, depending on where they're in you can throw in your old paper towels shredded papers so when you're putting all of your compost into this barrel you'll want you'll want to balance it's it's on a like a three to one ratio of browns to greens which in likelihood it's easier to make more greens like more kitchen scraps so you'll probably actively add want to add some browns shredded paper and straw things of that nature because otherwise you might end up with like this soupy mess if the if the micro if the microbiology isn't able to happen if there's not this right ratio um it might get a little gross okay that sounds good now speaking of pests and um less, I guess, worrying about the mice and rats and that sort of thing and thinking about keeping pests out of the garden, whether it be bugs or um, small animals, whatever it is. Do you have any favorite ways of protecting the garden once it's been planted? Well, this kind of also goes back to what we were talking about of healthy soil, healthy plants. They are able to much easier ward off any infestations of insects or other things like that. Um, That's, I think that's the biggest one. So stressed plants are prone to pests. Um, You want to take care of them as much as possible. You want to keep them watered properly, 
um, you want to keep when you are transplanting them from those little seedling packs, you want to make sure that you do it in the cooler parts of the day. So either in early morning or in the evening, what stresses plants out is if you put them out in the middle of the day, it's really hot. So you're putting these fragile little seedlings into the ground and that can stress them out. And then that can make them susceptible to pests from there. Um, another way to, to keep your garden healthy is to do what's called more of a diverse planting. So not planting everything just in rows, perfectly um, large plots of tomatoes or large plots of kale or things like that. That is a breeding ground for all of these bugs. And so if you intersperse different vegetables, then they can't just run rampant. You know, maybe one kale plant gets overrun by aphids, which those are a big problem here, aphids. But they're not as easy to hop to the next one. If there's tomatoes next to them, let's say, they don't um, necessarily love tomatoes. So things like that. That sounds like a good start. So I, last year, we had a whole four by eight um, raised bed of pumpkin. And we had a lot of yellow flowers, a lot of yellow blossoms. And my understanding was that those would be followed by fruit or by the pumpkins. And the same with uh, yellow um, squash and the cucumbers. But we actually, so I, we had a lot of yellow flowers on the pumpkins, but we didn't, we only had two pumpkins in the whole four by eight section. So I'm kind of wondering is, do you think it's something to do with the pollination or not ha- having enough bees? Is that, is there possibly a connection there? Hmm. It's definitely possible. Um, did, do you notice that you have, do you have a lot of bees? Do you have other flowers and things in your garden? We do have bees in the morning and it's hard for me to know what's a lot. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely see them in the mornings mm-hmm. when there are things in, in bloom. Um, but we don't have any other types of flowers other than the vegetables that flower themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Um, it's hard to say it could be there. There could be so many things going on with those particular pumpkins, but in general, I think encouraging um, bees and pollinators is a great idea. Um, so what I would say is what we like to do is on the ends of each one of our beds is planting some, some flowers. And they can do multifunctions. They don't just have to be ornamental flowers. They can be your, your herbs are, fla- are going to be flowering. And that should attract some more yeah. bees and pollinators. Okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love doing it. I just started really getting into flowers the last couple of years and it just, it just makes the garden so beautiful and inviting and it invites all of the, the good beneficial bugs and the bees and um, try that this year and see if you notice anything different. Okay. Yeah, we can definitely try that. We have flowers on other parts of our property, but nothing in the garden. So that sounds like a good addition. So after we get everything planted, what sort of maintenance do I need to do besides watering, of course? Is there anything I need to do throughout the season? Yeah, well, watering is a really big, important maintenance item. And I would say that 
that is what kills most gardens is improper watering. Um, so my advice would be to set up some type of, if not fully automated system, just something, some type of system that sets you up for success. So there's drip irrigation, and that would be these um, tubes that run just along the soil. And that directly drips water right into the roots of the plants where they need it. The overhead watering can be fine if that's your only option, but it can also lead to some diseases like powdery mildew or um, attract certain types of pests that like moist, more moist climates like that. And you'll be using less water if you use a drip irrigation because it's, like I said, it's going right to the roots and it's not just evaporating in the air or on the leaves. Um, and another tip would be to get a timer. So regardless if you're using the drip irrigation or, um, or if you're just using a sprinkler, just get a timer and then you can have it go off when you need it to have set intervals and, and watering. So aside from the watering, um, my advice is also to mulch your soil. After you've got the, the plants in there, you have all of this bare soil and that, you know, it, it just dries up really quickly. And that's another way that the plants can get stressed and you can lose your topsoil to wind and water erosion. So we always put a layer of mulch on top and you can use anything from straw or dry grasses um, old leaf matter just something that's like just tucking your plants in nicely and it also if you put it put this layer of mulch over top it will um, discourage weeds from growing so you won't have to do as much maintenance in your garden which is always a nice thing Okay, so water in the morning or in the evening? What do you think is better? Um, I think either one is fine, just not in the heat in the middle of the day. Really just what works for you. All right, well, this has been so helpful. I feel like I have a lot of information now. I am ready to get started, and I think I need to start small and make it very approachable because I do, like you said, I want to set myself up for success because I don't want to be burned out and dread doing this again next year. So I think <laughs> that I am in a good place to get started. And Beth, do you have any kind of resources that you want to share that could help others that are looking to get started too? Yeah, I would love to share. We have um, a lot of great articles on our blog. We have some ebooks you can download. Our Instagram's a great place to go. Um, and right now, we just launched a permaculture homestead crash course. So it's a three lesson series where you can just um, watch some videos and you'll get just a download on deeper onto what permaculture is, how you can use it in your home and garden, and six steps to starting your homestead, if that is something that you're interested in. Okay, great. And I will put those links in the show notes. Great. Well, thank you so much, Beth. This has been a lot of fun, and I will be coming back to you for questions as the season goes <laughs> on, for sure. 
Awesome. I'm really excited to see how your garden turns out and wish you all the best. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. You can find all the links in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 105. Be sure to check out Beth and Brett's website, HighSierraPermaculture.com. That's H-I-G-H Sierra S-I-E-R-R-A Permaculture.com. They offer a variety of amazing resources and have a really fun Instagram account to follow as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to go to iTunes and to leave a rating or review for this show. As always, thanks for tuning in.